Hello, I'm Joan Goodchild, Director of Multimedia Content with ISMG. Our guest today is Heath Renfro. He is the CISO of U.S. Army Medicine, and our topic today is incident response. But first, welcome, Heath. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your career. I'm Heath Renfro. I'm the Army CISO for Army Medicine, and a little bit about me. I, this is my second global uh, infrastructure, cybersecurity infrastructure that I've uh, had the pleasure of being an oversight and the challenge of being for that. Army Medicine, we're made up of around 48 hospitals, over 600 health clinics. We have over 100 dental clinics. We even have over 100 veterinarian locations and a little over 120,000 personnel across the globe. So we are second largest healthcare provider in the United States behind the Veterans um, Affairs Office and the VA hospitals. And we are the largest global healthcare provider in the world. Most people wouldn't think that um, think that about Army Medicine, but we are a very large infrastructure, and a lot of challenges that come with that. I've been doing cybersecurity work for nearly 19 years now, and I love it. It's a passion of mine, and I enjoy it, and I'm glad to be here with you. Now, incident response has been a topic in the news quite a bit in the last few weeks. We were talking about Equifax recently. This week, we're talking about Deloitte, which has also experienced a breach. From the government perspective, what are you thinking as you're watching these organizations respond to their data breach? So being part of the Department of Defense, our our incident response is probably handled a little bit differently, a little more direct. Uh, we certainly would have taken months to be able to sit there and release that information because we do have to answer to Congress and, and military leaders within the Pentagon. And, and I think that is key. I, I appreciate the fact that um, Equifax and Deloitte both you know, had to do their internal information, but I think keeping information like this from the public can be a, a damaging in the long run because what were you trying to cover up? But there's a lot of instances with Equifax that come across as being Concerning, um, there was a breach before the major breach three months before, uh, before that um, that has been released out that actually exposed uh, some of the security flaws and concerns when they brought in a third party assessor to come in and said there's some patch management issues. Now there's patch management issues no matter where you go. Patch management is a very difficult thing to manage. You got to work around people's clocks and times and broken clients and automation processes. So. That is a challenge, but I think where Equifax, for example, some a few mistakes they made with their incident response challenges is, first off, I, I don't think they attack, attack the the PR side of things when it came to public relations. You know, having a website, having a legal verbiage in there where users are going to lose their legal ability to defend themselves or or sue in this case or take legal action, that definitely is going to hurt you in the public eye on top of the fact that you've already exposed their record to the world because of the cyber attack. Uh, many other things that, are, that come into mind with this play is the fact that the patch management was not managed, even though the third-party assessor had recommended that that patch be taken care of. That's very, very concerning. Uh, more information came out of one of the offices and servers down in, in the South American region of, of the world that the default username and password was used on the server, and um, it was easy to be able to access. So there's many, many aspects of this, and then it comes down to their website management for person and people to go check and see if they were compromised. Actually, they were pointing to the phishing website. So we had an incident response team that was not embedded into the PR team or the PR team embedded with the incident response team. And the legal aspect of things, you know, with 
people selling stocks right before they announce this. That is another big thing that's going to be a big investigation. So overall, I think the PR nightmare around Equifax isn't going to go away. It's hurt the, the bottom dollar. Ultimately, I don't know how long it will hurt them. But for now, it, it's a very, very big deal. And I think your public relations response is just as key as anything when you do with incident response. You found a flaw, you got exposed, you brought in a team, you need to sit there and have a strong public relations response when it comes to this to be able to sit there and save face with your customers and to try to win their confidence back in the long run. What are the key components of incident response at Army Medicine? What's top of mind? How are you preparing? The government aspect is very uh, unique for us. We, you know, we are healthcare, and that's what we're providing, and that is what our mission is, is to provide that. My job as the CISO is to, prov- to complement the business processes within healthcare and within my organizations. I'm here to complement. I'm not here to impede. So when it comes to the incident response element of things, we bring in a very wide variety of personnel and individuals into the team um, drills, but also we do live drills to the point where we have trucks and generators and gas filled to be able to take our hospitals offline and run a true incident response if we lose power for some reason, or our HVAC system goes down, or a hacker gets in and does any of those things, which they are capable of doing. We're ready to respond with our emergency response team to be able to sit there and implement the capability to continue to provide healthcare. We have to look with our relationship on our incident response plans with our third party vendors, our medical device vendors. If we're having an issue or if we found an attack, we need to be embedded with our third party vendors. What is their incident response plan? Have they been exposed to us um, similar to the NotPeta a uh, ransomware attack, which ended up really just being a wiper, it, you know, they targeted an accounting software firm out of Ukraine, and it spread worldwide through FedEx and many others, and estimates of over $850 million in damage right now. But that was directed through a third-party software vendor. Equifax has been tied to a third-party software vendor, too, uh, coming through and accessing their information. So that's very key that we have a relationship with our third-party vendors and they do the instant response plans with us. So we are constantly looking at every angle. We are not only concerned about the criminal element of cybersecurity, but also the nation element of cybersecurity. I have a hospital in South Korea, for example. North Korea is very much on my mind. And we're putting uh, sound pen t- penetration testing with red teams that are going out to our locations. We're hammering our networks. We're looking at our vulnerabilities. We're finding the fixes and the mitigations to be able to make sure that we're protecting that. But we have to look at this, the political landscape, too, when it comes to our answer response plans. Obviously, an integral part of any IR plan is crisis communication. What does that look like at Army Medicine? So our crisis element is uh, we put those into our anti-terrorism, anti-force uh, protection teams that we embed our cybersecurity teams and our IT system teams into it. We have broken our functions down into regions. I am at the CISO level, but I have regional, um, they're not CISOs, but they're senior security personnel and cybersecurity personnel. And each site has senior cybersecurity personnel, incident response teams, as long along with the region. So everything flows through a chain of command flow, as you can imagine. But the first line of the defense is the site. And they have a commanding officer at those sites or a CEO. And everything is funneled in there. They, and they, they hit the crisis management button. And everybody throughout the globe, including the region and myself and my team, we jump on board. We also have um, 
within DOD, we have Army Cyber, which is uh, the cyber command for the Army. They step in and U.S. Cybercom steps in too. So we have a really robust incident response uh, element and a lot of different tools and resources that a lot of organizations won't have in the private sector, but we're very blessed to have. And with that global outreach, we have each site and each region have their own individual team um, response plans that are built into the overall arching program that I run. So, and all those are run on a quarterly basis. Uh, we revise our incident response plans on a quarterly basis, and we include all the senior leadership that needs to be involved with that across the entire command. And of course, we have personnel challenges and people changing duty stations, being a military organization. So we're constantly revamping and keeping our list up to date and, and changing the scenarios around, depending on sometimes the political landscape, particularly in with South Korea and the egress route. If we do put troops on the ground in North Korea, what direction do our wounded go? And we have to make sure that we have our right incident response plans in place and be prepared for a nation attack because North Korea is very sophisticated at what they do and, and the easy win for them would be, okay, now the U.S. had put troops on the ground, we've wounded them, they're going to a hospital, well, this attack the hospital to a cyber attack. There's no money involved with that, there's no risk of life involved with that for the North Koreans, but it is a huge risk for us. So that is some of the aspects we look to and we make sure our communication plans are sound with that. Uh, we don't just uh, depend on telephone lines or computer lines. We have SATCOM radios always in place and all those type of capabilities ready to go just in case we just lose completely the grid and completely we can, we can still function as an organization. Right. A joint IBM Poneman Institute survey last year found that 75% of organizations don't have a formal IR plan in place. Is that surprising to you? What are your thoughts on that? Well, I'm not surprised by those those stats. I think those stats are actually probably worse than what that survey is indicating. And my experience, you know, in this world and in this field is, you know, cybersecurity still is not taken very serious. Uh, it's very hard for my job as a CISO is not to go talk with my 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 executive board and my leadership about cyber. It's to go up there and talk dollars and business. And that is where I think. The field and the senior CISOs, we have the most challenges is to be able to spread that knowledge across the board of how to talk business to those boards so you can get the investment into cybersecurity. So a lot of those programs that in that survey that don't have an incident response plan, they probably don't have a cyber program uh, to say. So my, the first thing they got to do is get senior executive leadership involved to be able to sit there and establish a cyber program, a policy put in place that is signed off by the CEO of that organization. That drives the culture of cybersecurity through the organization. If it isn't coming from the top, nobody will take it serious. And from there, you, you build a framework out, you pick a framework, you determine, and then you look at your incident response. But you can't build an incident response plan without knowing your organization, having a relationship with your business partners. Each, each business function, your CISO or your senior cyber personnel need to have a relationship with them to understand what drives them, what is their function, what is the most critical systems in that system. Your incident response plan, you need to focus on those critical systems that drive your business, that keep the, the dollars coming in. You can't just put, you got to have a plan of what comes up first, what comes up second, what comes up third, et cetera. So it's very important to senior leadership involvement. You've got to be tied into each business function, understand what is critical to those business functions, 
And then from there, once you've talked all your business functions, you've got to lay out what's most important across the board for the company. Some might be more important than others. The business function guys are all going to have what they think is critical, but what from a senior board level is most critical to the organization to be able to do that. And from there, you build out an incident response plan. You get the key players involved. You make sure that everybody that needs to be on that incident response team is there, that the senior leadership is involved with the planning of that, the review of it, and they understand what their duties and roles are going to be. And some of those roles might be they need to get up in front of a camera to discuss a situation that's happened. For instance, we had an incident today globally that 120 of the airlines across the globe used the same check-in software to be able to check in for airlines. It went down globally for almost 15 minutes today. It was a big deal to company out of Spain. They put a pretty good sound PR response out there and got the issue fixed. They said it was a glitch. Don't know what the glitch is going to be. Theories are it's a cyber attack and it always is going to be that theory. But they had an instant response team. They fixed the glitch. They put the PR out. And that is very key to be able to establish an instant response plan. But then without knowing your business functions and knowing what's critical to those functions, you can't even start the instant response plan. Heath Renfro, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. For ISMG, I'm Joan Goodchild.